I don't think mine picked up, but I cracked. Alright, well, that's the important part. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Drink to the Past, the only podcast where, uh, you can see Chris playing Minecraft in the background. Uh, oh, I was just not going to say anything, but as, okay. Right, as long as you're, uh, on the YouTube version. If just you're, pretend uh, it's not there. Right, if you're, if you're not on the YouTube version, then you're missing out on Chris dying to lots of zombies. And, and instead, you can settle for my golden, sultry voice. That'll work. All right, I'll drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, uh, on um, last Sunday, I uh, decided to do a funny thing um, wherein I said, like, if I get, uh, for every retweet I get, I was trying to, like, oh, yeah, I'll grow my Twitter by doing a stupid thing on the podcast. I said I'd take a drink for every time that somebody retweeted it, and then later I was like, if I get ten retweets, I'll just drink a whole beer. Or, or, but I worded it weird, and uh, somebody pointed out to me that if, uh, I said up to 10 retweets. And in fact, I had like four or five retweets, which was up to 10. That That is a number that is up to 10. So I have to drink because of rules lawyering is, is basically the situation here. So that's, that's going to happen. So I'm just going to slam this. So for today on Sean Drinks Something Stupid, we have here a pint of Guinness in a fancy old Guinness cup that you can see if you're on our YouTube version. If you're on our audio versions, then you're missing out just a little. But I'm also going to show off one of my inexplicable waterfowl shot glasses. This is the Black Duck. Didn't see that coming, did you? I'm not sure why I have a set of waterfowl shot glasses, but I collect all sorts of weird glassware. So, uh... Instead of just being boring and doing a pint of Guinness as a shot or as a as a slam in it, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a car bomb here. So, or uh, for our friends over in Ireland, it's uh, to be politically correct a depth charge because over in Ireland, car bombing is actually you know a, a political thing. So we don't we don't want to bring that up, do we? Huh. Anyways, cheers. I thought you had to put the shot glass upside down. Hmm. I've You've never done it that way. The Cultural way difference is from you on your east coast. I spilled a little on my born, desk. Here, let me suck it up. You and your raised in Colorado, sir. <laughs> you and your east coast blimps. But the way I was taught was to um, pour the shot glass and then put it inside the cup upside down, flip it, and then pour the beer huh. in. I've always so when you down. Hmm. I guess that kind of makes sense, though. That way. Hmm. I'll have to try is... it that way next time. Yeah, because uh, with in most of the places I've been, they like fill the glass halfway, and then you you get the shot that's half Bailey's, half Jameson. I didn't have Jameson, so I used my good old friends at Talnua. Go check them out; they're awesome. Um, make great whiskey, but um, yeah, and then you just drop it into the half full pint and chug. So, anyways. I've also been doing some other pre-gaming, so that'll that'll be fun. Also, I'll show off my bottle opener here, because I got a cool little Guinness bottle opener, and it looks like a bottle. I'm Anything else Guinness-branded that you want to share with yes, the audience? Yes, actually, I have another Guinness glass, because I can't use the same one as I used for the depth charge, right? So I got my I got my cool Guinness mug, which is a different Guinness mug than the one I used the last time I had Guinness on the show. Uh, so I made sure to not use the same glass twice if I can avoid it. Uh, so. How many times can we say Guinness in one episode? Hey, Guinness, why don't you pay us? We'll find out. 
I don't know. I'll, I'll drink a Guinness to that. <laughs> Anywho. Guinness. Uh, also, Crow is not drinking on the podcast, so I have to drink one for him. So uh, here's here's Indeed. the Guinness. Um, yeah. and well, Nothing wrong with a good old classic Guinness. Pretty good. I would rate that a solid 3 to 17. Insert proper number rating here. <laughs> I think Guinness is like your good average go-to. I'm I'm gonna give it's, yeah. it's a little better than your go-to. I'll give it an 11 because it's like as many weird stouts as I drink, um, it's like not top of the line. But as a go-to that's available, fuck everywhere, like it's fine. I I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Excuse Guinness me. is a pretty good go-to. Yeah, I, I like it a lot more than, you know, anything else you find in the average bar. You know, you go over, you find Coors Light, Bud Light, Rolling Rock. I'm like, I don't give a shit. But Guinness, okay, I'll drink that all day. So. I've never had a bad Guinness. Yeah. Um, it's better in the cans, I think, because they got that little rocket widget that nitrogenates it. But the, the bottles are all right, too. Mm. Mm. And, of course, you know better on tap as everything is anywho um so for those of you who are new here you might be wondering who the hell we are uh so my name is sean michael patrick thompson i'm the one with the video uh this is my co-host chris audette who you can see playing some minecraft here and as well his little picture there is a flapper girl so uh, yeah hi i'm chris oh god the world is on fire audette uh it's <laughs> very nice to be talking to you all and by talking to you i mean me blabbering and you listening. And today we have our special guest, uh, Crow, uh, who you can see in the bottom right there is uh, got his badass Majora's Mask in his little profile picture. Indeed. So everybody wants one of those. <laughs> you have are, no are you idea. wearing your mask right now? Are, are we practicing no. social distancing while we're I on this can... podcast, while we're each I at can... a separate PC thousands of miles away? <laughs> Except we for Chris, who's actually only like yeah. 10 minutes away from me. But, you know. Yeah. I mean, I can yeah. go get my mask, but then you probably wouldn't be able to understand me. It's right, yeah. It's kind of thick, so it's Hello, my, my name is Crow. I have a cool mask, but you can't understand what the fuck I'm saying. It's pretty much pretty what it'd be like. So, that was my Crow in a mask impression. You are. I'm pretty a, sure it was so wizard. bad I have to drink. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my drink card. Drink. <laughs> if you're drinking it along at home. Anywho. So let's get into, uh, actually, I, I was uh, thinking, actually, because Crow is um, our most often returning guest, so that's kind of cool. So I decided we should give him yeah. an official rank in our crew, because uh, as the crew goes, I am the captain, and Chris is the navigator, so uh, what, uh, what, should, what should Crow be? Crow, you want to be, I'm not making you quartermaster, because quartermaster seems like, that that's really important, but uh. You deserve something more than cabin boy. My brother Dan is the lieutenant. Post of the lieutenant or the right tenant? Yes. Has to be a lieutenant. Because he uh, has the cabin on the left. Uh, uh, port. I don't know what's as it works. What's the, what's the name of the position? Put up the crow's nest. The cro I was say what. What's the name of the position that sits in the crow's nest? Because that seems fitting. Um, snipey dickhead. That works. I'm pretty sure that's not what that is. That's a technical term. I'm a pirate. I know. Hold Probably on. look out, but... Hold on. Let me roll an intelligence check here. Got my dice. Critical fail. Uh, eight. 
Hey, so you don't not a critical shit. fail, but not that a great. fail nonetheless. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'd roll again. I'd roll worse. I, I don't have my dice mm. right now. They're in a box somewhere. Nice. My dice are in a box right here because I have a really cool dice box. Bam. Be jelly. Uh, Barrelman. Barrelman. Uh, yes, is what it's called. Huh. That's cool. All I right. Like barrel. Crow the Barrelman. Sounds good. All right. Anyways, let's get into what you're playing finally for our guests. Oh. Uh, barrel, oh, because the crow's nest is made yeah, of a barrel. It's made oh, of a half a barrel. yeah, they they cut the barrel in half. So it's, it's that's clever. Yeah. I get it. All right, so uh, let's get into what you're playing here. So uh, who wants to go first on what you're playing? Uh, how about Chris? What you playing? Are you playing Minecraft? Yeah, I am definitely playing Minecraft at the moment. <laughs> uh, in addition to playing Minecraft, I've also been playing Dead, Dead by Daylight. Daylight. No big called surprise. It. I called it. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody who didn't call it has to drink, and and I'll take a celebratory drink. Since okay. I don't have booze, you have to drink again for me. I'll drink to that. How unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, Everybody drinking along at home has to drink twice every time I drink because Crow's not drinking. I've also been playing a fair number of uh, RTSs, including Command and Conquer Remastered. Uh, Command Conquer Re Red Alert Remastered, and uh, Age of Empires 2, which is a game that a lot of people have fond memories of, and I uh, haven't really played until uh, much later in life. <laughs> I am also drink. I am also drinking a Cryo IPA. A Cryo IPA? Yeah, from Odell. Okay, I like most Odells. Neat. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Crow, what you playing? Uh, well, I was playing Fire Emblem Three Houses, but I recently finished the church run, and uh, mm -hmm. after 255 hours, I think it's time for a break. Right. So we've been <laughs> playing, uh, my friends and I have been playing Dead by Daylight, and funny enough that you bring up Pirates, uh, Sea of Thieves. Oh, cool. Streaming. We've been doing some streams of that. I've looked at that game. Our... It, it looks pretty cool, but I haven't got into it because I didn't have an Xbox, and now it's on PC, though, isn't it, too? Yeah. Uh, is Sea of games. Thieves improved from what it was in its beta yeah. and release? Oh, yes. Very much yes. Okay. It's a good time. It's definitely better with friends. You can get into all kinds of fun, silly sea shenanigans. That you can see ours on our group YouTube channel, The Four Players. That's the four dash players. The word for it. Uh, you're going to have to... I just tried. You're going to have to filter four it point. down to channels because we have eight whole subscribers. <laughs> so it's not <laughs> exactly... Whole. Whole it, it, foreplay, whole. Yeah. Ah, I'm, I'm making fun of you guys, it. but I, I'm pretty sure I have to drink for a bit joke that bad. So it's, you're, and I, I mean, have to drink twice because you're not drinking. So it, it's kind of punishment indeed. to myself. It's uh, trust me, that, that, that was very much taken into consideration, and dare I say, <laughs> might have been part of the cho reasoning for the choice of name. Nice. I dig it. I mean, it's to represent that there's four of us and. Nothing sexually explicit about the name. Totally right. not, including the fact that part of our logo is looks like an upside down penis. Mm. So, are have you been uh, nailed <laughs> by the YouTube uh, it's not by the YouTube demonetization penis, squad yet? We have 
eight subscribers, two posted videos, and like 10 views, uh, 30 views. So, no, we have not been demonetized because we can't monetize. Yeah, you gotta have like a thousand or something to yeah. monetize, that, uh, something along those lines. Yeah, 1,000 subscribers and I think 10,000 views or something like that. <laughs> yeah. One of these days, drink to the past, we'll get there, maybe. Yeah, someday. Maybe. <laughs> Share and subscribe if you haven't already, and all that good stuff. Uh, so I've been playing, uh, since you spoke of Fire Emblem, I've actually been replaying a little bit of Fire Emblem Radiant... No, Path of Radiance, that one. The first one in that uh, series there for GameCube, because I uh, got that, and I replayed the first chapter a few weeks ago. I was talking about that, and uh, I've replayed now up to, like, Chapter 5 or something, um, and... It's. I feel like it's more slow going than I remember it at first, uh, but I feel like also maybe that's just that now I've played so many Fire Emblem games that I really don't need any tutorials. So there, because it's like the first level is like a basic tutorial, and then the second level is like here's how to use staves, and then the third level is like here's how to use ranged attacks, and it's like okay, I get it. I played Fire Emblem long enough, so. Uh, but so far the, the story is still, you know, as, as good as I remember it. It's a little slow getting into it, but now I feel like I'm getting into the meat of the story is kind of, uh, starts happening, uh, at the part where I'm at, because it's basically you're with this band of mercenaries and the first few levels as tutorials are basically you just doing random mercenary shit. And then the level I just did is like, oh, hey, uh, we heard that these two countries are going to war, so we're going to go scout out and see what we should do. Should we take action? Should we take a side? And then you are on set by some leaders of one of the armies that's like, hey, look, there's some guys that are armed. Let's go kill them. And you're like, dude, we're just mercenaries. We don't want to fight. Okay, fuck you. And, you. and you kill them all. So, um... It's pretty sweet. Um, I'm, I'm excited to get into the meat of the story again because I remember a lot of things that are deeper into the story, I think, uh, than I realized at the time because uh, it's just been so long since I played this game. Uh, so I'm excited to dive into that again. And as well, the other thing I've been playing is I finished The Last of Us 2. Boom. Nice. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, and I kind of wanted to not go a lot into it because we talked about it a bit last week um but basically my thoughts on it are still kind of the same uh and i'll actually have an article going up on two guys playing zelda.com uh pretty soon here on the tgpz gaming website um so it's it's not so much a review as it is a i feel like people that are complaining at, about this game are just totally looking at it wrong uh of what it's supposed to be because I feel like people that are complaining about the story mostly haven't played the story and are just like looking at the footnotes and trying to figure out what to go off of that. And I'm like, it's not a story-based game like everybody says. It's a character-based game. And I feel like those two things are very closely entwined, but they're not the same. And so to treat it as the same, I think, is incorrect i think really to understand this game you have to play it and see 
you know, where the characters go and what the characters go through and how they react to it. And that's where the selling point of this game is. It's not in... Because you can describe the story, like I said last week, in like two sentences. Okay, yeah, it's mostly about revenge. That's one of the biggest complaints I see, is the story's all about revenge. But yeah, okay, the story in The Last of Us 1, you could sum up in one sentence as well you could be like okay the story's about a guy trying to solve the apocalypse by taking a girl who's immune to zombieism to some doctors right that's the basic concept of the first one and i just summed it up so but but the meat of the story is within the character <clears throat> development and how they react to situations and all that so uh anyways i i expect to get a lot of backlash about that on once my article is published i sent it over so it should be theoretically published on the website pretty soon so yeah Yeah. all right so shall we get into our news and booze yes all right so uh chris uh what do you rate that beer uh as long as we're talking about news and booze we gotta start with the booze and then we'll get in the news uh, it's an eleven or so. Okay. I would say it's it's not great, very mild, decent for an IPA. Hmm. But it's does it. But even though it's, but it doesn't have anything to kind of replace any of the hoppiness mm-hmm. or bitterness that you'd normally expect from an IPA. Right. Is a little unfortunate. All right, so that's not terrible. And uh, Crow, what do you rate your nothing? Uh, I'm drinking a Mountain Dew, as a matter of fact. Okay, and I would rate. I rate, rate Mountain it Dew a Yeah, I like. I'm Mountain a big Dew. fan, so I'd rate it a 15 out of 17. But I could bump it up to a 17 if PepsiCo wants to give me some money. Hey, mm. PepsiCo. Hashtag or I could also knock it all the way down. I could knock it down to a, a minimum three. Right, if Coke, Coke wants, wants to, to give you a few, <laughs> a few bucks, it would be like, ooh, it's... A... Okay. Well, okay. Maybe I won't drop it that low. I still like Mountain Dew, but I like right, money. Yeah. Right, yeah, but but if Coke gives you money, then you'll be like, oh, man, that mellow yellow. <laughs> right. I mean, mellow yellow Hey, check good. out that Surge. It's now available at Burger King. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes Burger King. No, but I'll go there for Surge. <laughs> fucking love sir i'm so hyped that it's back in burger king now i'm like oh my god i want a whopper not really i just want surge and i'll take a whopper with it <laughs> give me a whopper i can throw it at somebody first piece of news and booze the sonic movie sequel is releasing in theaters on april 8th 2022 according to variety which I didn't even know they were like a thing until like every nintendo channel was like retweeting them i was like people still have magazines yeah. Well, most magazines are online now, but yeah, apparently lots of people still have magazines. I guess, yeah. I, I actually was kind of annoyed because I uh, uh, resubscribed to uh, GameStop's, because um, I've been a pro member at GameStop for like forever, because I like 80% just because I want to get the Game Informer subscription, and I'm like, okay, I'll get discounts at GameStop while I'm at it. Why not? Whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, this year, apparently, they uh, made everybody, like, go to digital without asking them. And so, like, the last couple months, I've been getting these digital magazines in my email. And I'm like, I'm not going to read that. It's in my email. It's not a magazine. So I had to, like, email them. And, and that was a whole debacle. I was annoyed. I was like, come on, you stupid yeah, bastards. They're, 
it's Game Informer trying to a cut like costs and also be uh, reduce our carbon footprint. Yeah. Now, granted, I we, kind of we have. I kind of understand the the idea, but at the same time, GameStop is a place that thrives on physical media sales, and yes. reducing physical media sales by giving me a digital magazine seems like the opposite direction they should take. Kind of. They do. They do still have the option to do the physical magazine. It just costs five bucks more. <clears throat> oh, it does. Yeah, it's uh, twenty hmm. bucks for the year instead of fifteen. Oh, okay. I thought it was 20 bucks for the year anyway, or whatever it was. I do gotta say, I would not miss Game Informer anywhere near as much as I miss the old Nintendo Power. I do still miss the old... Since you mentioned it, I actually have a Nintendo Power magazine on my shelf right here. Oh, nice. Hey, I read that one. Yeah. It's the only Nintendo Power I ever had. Oh, really? I remember. I, I was subscribed was for sword. fucking years, man. I fucking love Nintendo Power. Um, and it was like... Uh, this this is one of my favorites just because of this art on the front cover. I, I found this digging around at my parents' house after I moved out like years later, and I was like, "Oh, sweet!" So. I only remember it because it had an article on Skyward Sword, and that was like yeah. the first I had learned about it before the game came out. Yeah, I was um, so hyped. It was kind of funny too because like I remember getting this and like talking to people about it online, and like uh, there's that image of Fee before they said her name or or what she was. And mm -hmm. it, it's like um, everybody was theorizing, like, oh, she's got that crystal in her chest. She must be the Master Sword. And I was like, no, that's fucking stupid. And that's exactly oh, what, what her story <laughs> was. She's actually the Master Sword in spirit form. I was like, wait, what? what? <laughs> I was like, what? like, when people were suggesting this, I was like, no, you're stupid. This doesn't make any sense. Your theories are dumb. <laughs> like, no, I'm eating shit. <laughs> So, it's a funny thing to do with that. Anyways, anybody hyped about Sonic movie or let's move on? Samurai oh, yeah. Jack. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> I'm excited. That, that's the end of it. <laughs> yeah, we forgot that, that entire thing. We got fucking rabbit hole. Ra every time a rabbit hole happens, we have to drink. That's the new rule on Drink to the Past. Uh, that's funny. Okay. I'm going to run out this. of beer here soon. I'm going to have to get up and get another. Anyways, so... Yeah, Sonic movie. I actually really liked the first one. Like, that is my movie of the year so far, which is an unfortunately small list of movies because, yeah. you know, theaters this year, they've been closed for fucking months. So right. that that's kind of an issue there. But it's like, still, like, it was a good fucking movie. I was pleasantly surprised with the Sonic movie. I was like, this is actually like a good movie that i like i bought it on blu-ray i'm gonna be like watching it all the fucking time with my kids and and just just for fun you know so yeah. i'm totally on board with a sequel i'm excited to see what they're doing with tails if they're bringing in any other people like i'm i want to see like knuckles or somebody you know amy maybe come in what there do you think and help about, out what do you think about the like outcries for uh, people wanting Knuckles to be cast to uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. What? Yeah, yeah, that was a big I mean, thing going around. Not, not that that's outrageous, but why him specifically? I guess. Just, yeah, his voice fit. I don't know. I would go with um. He's a funny dude. 
Because because who's the guy that voices him anyway? It's the same guy that I don't know his name. He voices like Yami and in Yu-Gi-Oh and uh... uh Travis Willingham, I think. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I I think I feel like that voice just fucking fits him, and yeah, I I would go with that same voice actor. Uh, but you know, with this kind of big Hollywood thing, they might not. Obviously, you know, they didn't get the quote unquote real Sonic voice. They got um, Ben Schwartz, I think. Yeah, I was thinking James Marsden, but then no, that's the that's the human guy. Um, that's Donut King, Donut yeah. Lord. <laughs> Donut Lord, I fucking love that. <laughs> Why do you call me Donut Lord? <laughs> because you talk to donuts and you eat them if they misbehave. <laughs> I was like, that was like one of the fucking best moments of the fucking movie. I fucking love that movie. I'm all about the sequel. Anyways. Uh, they did get... Uh, um, they did get the main voice actress, actress for Tails. Okay. The main actress. reason they didn't... Yeah, Tails is played by a girl. Okay. That's how voice um, acting works sometimes, especially with, like, small boy voices are very often played by girls, like uh, Bart Simpson, um, Timmy Turner, just for a couple of Ash. examples. Ash, yeah, is, well, actually, actually has been two different girls because Veronica Taylor was Ash's voice for a long, long time until literally in the middle of the Gen 3 season, um, they switched... Uh, they just didn't renew her contract, and it's been uh, somebody else ever since. And and I, I'm not, I don't remember her name. Uh, and she doesn't do like a bad job or anything. But I feel like just like the Gen Oneer in me is just like, no, Veronica Taylor is the real Ash. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, Samurai Jack Battle Through Time has got a release date of August 21st. Sarah Natocheni. Cool. That's who that is. Now we know. And now we know that Chris can Google while seamlessly still playing Minecraft. He didn't miss a beat. He's been walking around and, like, looting whatever his chests are in there for days. Yeah. It's called cheating. <laughs> Fucking cheater. <laughs> Right. Send help. I'm dying. So, is, is anybody else hyped for this game? I fucking love Samurai Jack in general, and I fucking want this game. I didn't uh, watch the trailer, so, like, it, I'm gonna get it just because it's Samurai Jack, but I may not necessarily buy it at full price. It depends right. on how the game looks. Um, yeah, it's coming out. Um, I think it looks kind of cool. It's very stylized, so it's not gonna be like your hyper awesome oh my god graphics but uh you know it's mm. like it it really looks like a samurai jack cartoon come to life i feel like uh just watching the couple of trailer because they put out a trailer a while ago when they announced it and then there was another trailer a couple of days ago uh that is this release date trailer that looks really cool um so i feel like the only thing i'm going to miss is the original voice actor for aku but uh mako died in quite a while ago actually um he was he died before avatar the last airbender finished up yeah uh so for the last it, he was the same guy that uh voiced uncle iroh from avatar um and that's third, why his voice changed in book four three. yeah yeah in the third yeah. season they had to change his voice because um uh mako died i forget his full name but he always just went by mako in the credits and i thought that was kind of cool 
Um, it's always a little sad when the voice actor, actor dies. Right, yeah, I'm like, uh, it's, uh, even for voice actors that I don't know, like, I was like, um, when the Japanese Professor Oak died, I was like, no, not Professor Oak! Oh, wait, that's not my Professor Oak. Who the fuck is that guy? But no, not Professor Oak! So... <laughs> so. Anyways, I'm super hyped about this game. Let's get into the next piece of news and booze. Blasphemous is getting DLC. Stir of the Dawn coming August 4th. Fuck yes, I love this game. I have actually another little collectible I got just up here is my uh, limited run card from the physical version of Blasphemous uh, from Limited Run Games. Boom. So that's fucking cool. Nice. So, Very shiny. Yeah. It is. It's, like, really shiny. And just the fucking pixel art in this game is amazing. And the trailer for this uh, DLC is, like, just all of the pixel art is still top-notch. I am so hyped about this. Again, I'm just like, dude, August, I feel like, might be a hefty month for me. Just because the DLC there and Samurai Jack and a, I feel like a couple other things are coming out. Now I don't remember what they are. But, um, yeah, I'm... So I'm I'm totally fucking like day one I'm getting that DLC and I'm gonna I'm gonna pop it in again and and I'm gonna die a lot because that's the point of the game. <laughs> it's like Dark Souls meets Castlevania but cooler than both. I don't know is that fighting words for somebody? <laughs> any any huge Dark Souls slash Castlevania people? I'm not a huge Dark Souls fan but I know enough people that are that. Yeah, I think those are fighting words, maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like Dark Souls and I like Castlevania, but uh, I feel like Blasphemous kind of one-ups both of them in the weird combination of both of their styles. Um, just personally, just my preference. I'm not amazing at Castlevania either. I don't think I've ever beat a Castlevania game. So, you know, take that for what you will. Anyways, shall we get into the very big meat of the uh, news and booze? Or is there anything else you guys want to say about Blasphemous getting DLC? I uh, need to play Blasphemous, but I really liked uh, just just watching videos of it. I really liked the pixel art. Uh -huh. You can borrow uh, my copy when I'm done with the DLC. <laughs> that'd be cool. Yeah. Because I have a physical copy. I'm a fucking nerd. So, um, anyways, our next and last two pieces of news and booze are going to be a little lengthy because there was a Nintendo Direct Mini and an Xbox Games Showcase. So, um, I'll just go through... There, there wasn't that much in the Direct Mini, so I'll go through everything in the Direct Mini, and then we can kind of go back on our points there. And then we'll kind of go bullet points through the Xbox Games Showcase and uh, you guys can stop me if there's anything you want to say anything about, and I'll stop myself if there's anything I want to say about. So for the Direct Mini, uh, first they opened up with Cadence of Hyrule getting three DLC packs. One of them Shadow Drop the day of the Direct, which was Monday. Um, Rogue Company uh, was announced coming for Switch and PS4. I believe this was announced before, but now it's announced uh, for Switch and PS4 with crossplay. But don't quote me on that, I don't remember. Um, WWE 2K Battlegrounds Shadow Dropped, uh, that day, uh, which is like a WWE kind of arcade brawler game where everybody looks a little bit chibi. And, Looks uh, like Playgrounds, basically. Yeah, kind of. 
Um, and the last announcements they had were Shin Megami Tensei 3 is getting a remaster next year for Nintendo Switch. And Shin Megami Tensei 5 is finally getting news after so long uh, and will be coming out next year. Uh, so uh, anything, let's, let's kind of stop on the cadence of Hyrule. And then let's skip over the other two things because nobody cared about them. And then let's get into the Shin Megami Tensei. <laughs> so, does that sound good to everybody? Because, I mean, Rogue, Rogue Company looks neat, but I don't need another online shooter. I have Halo. Fair. <laughs> um, so, Cadence of Hyrule, three, three DLC packs. Uh, they look pretty cool. I haven't got them yet because they also announced along with this that it's getting a physical release, which is also coming in August, which is another one of the things that's in August. Uh, which, if you buy the physical release, it's kind of like Travis Strikes Again, where if you buy it, you get the DLC with it. So, I'm mm. like, okay, I'm going to fucking double dip for this game. This game's fucking good, and I want a physical copy. So, there you go. Um... Uh, what do you guys think about that? And uh, the DLC, just to be clear, is the first one is like extra characters like Impa and some uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer characters are being added as playable characters. And, it's like Impa and Bard. Yeah. And the uh, second one is like 39 music tracks are just being added to the game. And the third DLC pack Danny Bronowski. is... Uh, I mean, that's a good fucking point there, Chris. <laughs> but the third one is actually a story DLC where you will get new story elements in a new dungeon or something, uh, and you play as Skull Kid. So that's kind of yeah. interesting. So uh, what do we all think about just the DLC in general? I'm mostly excited for being able to do the Skull Kid expansion. Right. But playing, playing a Shadow Link will be pretty cool, too, because he's one of the characters that was added. Yeah, Shadow Link sounds kind of cool. Um, um, he gets the red sword. Yeah. I'm wondering if he really plays any differently than Link, uh, and I guess I'll find out when I get the DLC, because I'm not going to... Like, as long as I'm going to wait for the physical version, I don't feel like I need to get the DLC right away. So I'll just right. get the physical version, and then I'll play the DLC as long as it comes with it, you know? Right. Whatever's available as it comes out sort yeah. of thing. Uh, I still ha need to buy and play through the base game, unfortunately. Yeah. You played a little bit with me one day when you were, like, too drunk to drive home from the podcast, so we just <laughs> hung out and played co-op with it. Uh. Have you played any more than that? Uh, I have not played any more than that. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's the kind of game it, I know I like because yeah, you played uh, the original I liked the Necrodancer, didn't you? Yeah, because I played the original Crypt of the Necrodancer, and I am. Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, I didn't uh, either. I got like I've got to floor three, I think, a few times because I think if you beat like four floors then you win right something like that yeah uh, yeah but i've got to floor so. three a few times uh i got to a point where i could consistently get to floor two but not not all the time <laughs> still it's it's a hard fucking game uh so i kind of like that um cadence of hyrule is a little easier because it gives you a lot of upgrades to make it and, and I like that it kind of gives you a big explorable overworld as well. Um, but 
um, the original Crypt of the Necrodancer is still just a ton of fun. Like, even if I just go back and die and die and die again, it's just a fun game to fucking play. Yeah, I, at some point, am going to do a no-death, like, whatever their equivalent of master mode, just everything at the hardest difficulty, yeah. no-death run. Because I think that's one of the characters not a that they uh, revealed is actually, like, if you take one hit or miss one beat, then you die and you have to start the whole game over. Uh, well, is that's, one a, of the that's DLC a game mode already. Aria mode. Yeah. Yeah, that, I say that's a mode already in the game. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's, like, fucking intense. Especially with, like, my fucking wonky Pro Controller pad, because the Pro Controller D-pad is not great, and sometimes will register the wrong direction, and that was, like, some of my problem. Uh, was, like, I push up, and it'll go, like, left, and I'll, like, jump into an Octorok and, and die. But, uh, usually playing handheld mode wasn't all that bad. And I played most of that game handheld. I, I played on the TV a few times, but... Anyways, um, shall we get into Shin Megami Tensei? Uh, anybody played Shin Megami Tensei 3? No. A game I had always wanted to play, which is why I'm happy to hear about this. Uh, yeah, I think that's kind of interesting because um, I was reading a thread on Twitter from somebody. I can't remember who, but they were kind of going through like, these are all the Shin Megami Tensei games. Should you go through them uh, like... Uh, these are the ones that you should use, like, go first as a introductory player, and Shin Megami Tensei 3 was one of them that would be a decent introductory point to the series. And I was like, the first Shin Megami Tensei game I played was Strange Journey, which was one of theirs that they were just like, do not play this first until you are a Shin Megami Tensei veteran. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I, I still liked Strange Journey okay. That was one on Nintendo DS, and the story was kind of interesting, but it was, um, it's kind of strange presentation because, uh, it was like, uh, it was like mist, right? Where you're like here and then you click where you want to go and then you're like 10 feet forward and you can turn and then you're, you know, go again and you're 10 feet forward. Uh, and then the battles, uh, were, were just kind of strange and it, Almost had like a Pokemon-esque aspect where you could capture the demons that you were fighting. Uh, so it was, it was a really strange game. Um, and really the reason I bought it was that I, I saw the ad for the first DS Shin Megami Tensei, which I don't remember which one that was. But some Shin Megami Tensei game came out for DS before this one. And then I saw this one in the store and it came with a soundtrack CD. And I was like, okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> huh. so that one was okay so i'm interested to get back into this series i like atlas rpgs in general um i really liked uh quite a few of their games um i'm trying to think of what uh operation darkness was pretty cool was an one on xbox 360 where you're like fighting uh zombie nazis that was kind of cool. Anything Persona is good. I haven't actually played any Persona. I've, that's another one that I'm thinking of like getting into. And then, and then there's all these rumors that it's going to come out on Switch, and it's, it just never happens. So I'm like, maybe I'll just get it on PS4 as long as it's like the regular version is like twenty bucks anyway. I don't know. Um, yeah. Especially since I beat Last of Us too. Now I'm like, as soon as I beat Doom Eternal, I'm gonna be like, okay, now what? Uh, so. 
At that point, I'm going to be like, maybe I'll get Ghost of Tsushima as long as it's, you know, if it's still relevant, then maybe. But I don't know how long that'll last or if I'll just be like, now I want to wait for the, you know, a price drop or something. So I'm not sure. I think it'll be relevant until like Madden and 2K come out and start taking up everybody's attention. There's no right. real major games releasing. Yeah, because I of feel August. like most of their, um, I feel like most of Sony's huge announcements are now PS5 announcements. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people are calling, uh, Ghost of Tsushima like the swan song of the PS4. Although I I remember, like how many people called so many different games the swan song of the 3DS. Like Hyrule's Warriors Legends is the swan song of the 3DS. Fire Emblem Echoes is the swan song of the 3DS. Uh, <laughs> Metroid uh, <laughs> Samus Returns is the swan song of the 3DS. It's like how many things you get to, you know, every time like you thought it was dead, they would have another huge release that would sell like fucking hotcakes, and you'd be like, why? Right. Anyways, and Shin Megami Tensei, I'm just excited that that game has news again. So I'm like, I don't know if I'll get Shin Megami Tensei 3 and 5. I guess it kind of depends on like when they both release. Like if they release at the same time, I'm probably just going to get 5 to get the new one. Um, But like if 3 releases in spring and 5 releases in like summer or fall or something i feel like a good jrpg would be a good fall or winter game so um depending on when they release i might get both um and depending on price because i'm like it's a remake um you know of a game that's probably going to be fairly lengthy and and also depends on what else is releasing at that point so kind of depends anyways uh anything else on them no, not really. I never played Shin Megami Tensei, so mm-hmm. I have no proper input to give. Chris, you a big Shin Megami Tensei fan? No, like but it Atlas? is the always the kind of I do like Atlas. Yeah, you play, you played like a ton of their uh, whatever whatever that game is that you're all into. Disgaea. Disgaea. Yeah, that one. I was like, yeah. what's that game? That reminds him of Coke. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, you just this lost guy. the game. <laughs> Anyways, let's get into the Game Pass showcase. Uh, the the Xbox Games Showcase. I stuttered over my speech, so I have to drink. So, um, one of the things they mi- re- revealed mid in this demonstration was that all Game Pass games, or all Game Pass members, will get all of the games revealed at this event with. Game Pass free with their subscription. So they kind of revealed a lot. So that's like, that's kind of cool, I think. Um, that they're just like, all of this shit is coming with the Game Pass subscription. So uh, we're going to stop right here on their first announcement was Halo Infinite, um, which adds a map feature with checkpoints. Uh, looks like it's actually just a big ass open world Halo game. Um, it's kind of hard to tell if it's, like, real open, open world, um, Mm. but from the gameplay, like, it looks pretty open, a lot more open than any other Halo game, and they said the full Halo ring that you can explore is much bigger than Halo 4 and 5 combined, so that's kind of cool to me. 
Uh, there's also a grappling hook um, and lots of exploration, and they touted it at a flawless 60 FPS. That is uh, literally from the mouth of Phil Spencer. Flawless 60 FPS. <laughs> so, um, I'm all on board with this fucking shit. I fucking want to get into Halo again. Like, I've been replaying all the stuff in Master Chief Collection on PC, and I am into this. I am fucking, like, this is like, I'm like, I don't even know if I want a PS5 right now, <laughs> you know, yeah. at, at least at launch, because uh, none of the PS5 games wiggled my radar nearly as much as Halo has, because uh, I'm a long, long time Halo fan. I've been playing Halo since the very first one, way back when, you know, that was the first game that me and, well, really my brother got with his Xbox he got Halo, uh, and and we were playing that, like, pretty close within launch year, and um, I don't remember exactly the time frame, because I was fairly young, but, um, yeah, it's just, like, Halo was, like, a big part of my life for, like, the longest fucking time, and then it just kind of dropped off, because it was the only selling point, I feel like, for Xbox One, and now I'm, like... I miss it so much, and this gameplay looks so fucking good. I'm just like, I want it. So I guess my biggest concern is <laughs> what is co-op gonna look like? Hmm. Because that was that was the biggest sticky point for Halo Five that caused it to flop is because they took away split screen. Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't that like even that, Halo that, Four. I thought Halo Four didn't even have split screen for. Uh, co-op. It did. Did it? Okay. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, also, I, I, I really didn't play Halo 4 very much. Uh, that, that was also part of the reason I dropped off the Halo bandwagon was like, um, you know, when Halo 4 came out, I was like, I had a very new baby and, you know, a pretty new marriage and I would, I just had so much other stuff on my plate that like, multiplayer video games that were primarily multiplayer were just not on my radar. I was like, if I got a video game, it was like a single player thing. And I, I yeah. didn't even get many of them. I, I missed out on so much in, in that kind of generation of gaming. And, uh, my brother did give me Halo four for my birthday. Uh, shortly after my kid was born and I played like the first few levels and I was like, this is fine, but I wasn't that invested in the story and I really just missed playing with all of my brothers because this was the first like, I've moved out on my own Halo game and I can't just play this co-op whenever because my wife does not like first person games, doesn't like shooters, uh, you know, it's like I have no one to play with and it just depressed me, <laughs> you know, I was right. just, so I, I barely played any of Halo 4 and I didn't get an Xbox One, so I didn't have Halo 5, so now I'm just like, at this point, I'm just like, no, I need more Halo in my life. <laughs> yeah. Especially Halo with Fallen. online, I feel like now maybe I could make it work with somebody. Halo 4 was kind of meh. Like, you didn't mm. really miss a whole lot. Right. It it was kind of cool to begin with, because, you know, they, they were in um, adding new enemies with the Forerunners, and there was some new weapons and shit. Like, oh, this is pretty neat. 
but the story was kind of dumb, and you know, the, they obviously had to shoehorn the the Covenant back in. You know, like, oh, Covenant, these guys are still your enemies, or is it? Did they betray you, or are these guys separate? Who fucking knows? But change, they changed the like. They changed the reasoning I a few times. I kind of like felt like that was happening a little bit with my Master Chief playthrough. Because um, they've got Halo 2 Collector Edition in there, or, or uh, whatever it is. It's like the remaster version, where they added a bunch of extra cutscenes. And some of them seem like, okay, maybe they're trying to retcon some of the stuff in there. But for the most part, they were just like you know, adding to the world building and, you know, all that kind of stuff of like, oh, here's what the, you know, uh, the guys that the Arbiter was sent to fight were talking to the Monitor, and that's why they ended up, you know, becoming the heretics or whatever. And so some right. of it was kind of cool, and some of it felt like, okay, maybe it's like trying to retcon some of what was going on. And I feel like some of it had something to do with... I was like, I feel like I would understand more of this if I had played Halo 4 and 5. <laughs> yeah, but uh, like, I think part of the problem is three four three. They're definitely not as good a developers for Halo as um as Bungie was. Mm -hmm. Like, Halo Reach was the last super amazing Halo, mm -hmm. and then the rest just kind of fell short. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm hoping that they redeem themselves with Halo Infinite because like. I, I do I did love Halo growing up. Like it was a massive part of my childhood, so it is special to me. Mm -hmm. Um so I just I want it to do well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh any last thoughts on Halo or shall we move on to the rest of the news we got cuz we've actually got quite a lot still from the Xbox thing. Yeah, we should probably keep going. All right. Next thing was State of Decay 3, uh which looks pretty fucking cool cuz like Literally, the trailer just starts out with, like, this uh, woman that's just, like, camping in the woods, just, like, carving an arrow, uh, and then just, like, you see this wolf on the other side of this fireplace, you know, she's got, like, her campfire, and this wolf is, like, staring at her, and she just fucking screams at it, and I'm yeah. just like, oh my yeah. god, this is amazing, whatever this is right now, I had no idea what it was, and, like, I've... I've heard of the State of Decay series, but I've never played one anyways. Uh, and then, so good. Yeah, and then, like, after that, like, she's just, it's, like, cuts to the next day or something where she's, like, hunting in the woods and uh, comes across this wolf corpse that's just being eaten by a zombie elk. You're just like, yeah. what the fuck? This is amazing. I want this game. So, uh, any it, quick thoughts on there? Oh, I am so unbelievable believably excited but uh this is a, an interesting one we'll we'll call this a theory here this can be a bet if we fucking remember this if i'm <laughs> wrong i'll drink for it um i'm going to wager a bet that scream was important in that the reason why the wolf ran away is maybe there's a mechanic in the game where survivors in order to survive because a lot of zombie there, like there's some zombies in the game that scream Mm. Um, th there's even one that's specifically called a screamer. Mm. Um, I'm willing to bet that that's what that was supposed to be. Was like audi audible camouflage to make herself seem like a zombie, so that the fucking zombie wolf will fuck off. Okay. So that that's cool. my bet. That All right. That'll be a mechanic in the game. Is screaming. Awesome. 
I'm down. Cool. Next thing was uh, Forza Motorsport. Looks like Forza. Looks good. Like it looks gorgeous. Forza does. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, Forza is pretty much known for that. It's, you know, it looks fucking good, and you race fast cars. <laughs> That's what Forza like, is. So even then, like, I still couldn't get over the fact, like, it just looked like genuine, legit, real life race cars. Mm -hmm. Like, what the fuck? Right. Yeah. So. I'm not super huge into racing games, but, like, if they get me in on the Game Pass, which they might, then I'll check it out. Sure. Yeah. Um, I have Game Pass, so I'm going to get it. All right. There you go. Um, Everwild is the next thing. Um, developed by Rare, which was announced a while ago. Uh, has stylized graphics. There's lots of strange creatures. Look kind of neat. Um, so, let's, uh, anything on that or move on? No. Uh, tell me why uh, brother and sister have bed dead parents. There's some kind of mystery stuff. Looks neat. Small bit of tension there. Ori and the Made Will of the, the Wisps coming to Series X will run at 120 frames per second in 4K. Is mind-boggling to think about. Yeah. I've heard nothing but good my... things about Ori. Uh, both of them just sound like they're apparently just pretty good excellent like, platformers platformer games yeah i'm like not super into platformers but you know i've thought about them you know if i get highly recommended all right so maybe i'll check out one of them's on switch so i might check out uh the first one and then you know see where i go from there uh outer worlds is getting dlc Paralon gorgon which uh the trailer for this was fucking hilarious it's coming september 9th um, I don't have the Outer Worlds. I have not played the Outer Worlds, but an another game that I've pretty much heard nothing but good things about. Looks, looks pretty cool. Anything on that? No. Bang. Uh, Grounded is another thing from Obsidian Entertainment, who made the Outer Worlds, among other things. Um, shrunken kids build forts out of leaves and shit. Um, looks interesting. I don't know. Uh, uh, was grounded by Obsidian? I thought. Yeah, it's another different... by Obsidian. Oh. Um, and the next other thing was also from Obsidian is Avowed, which is a new yeah. RPG from Obsidian, uh, which is kind of their thing that they're known for. Because yeah, it, I thought it was funny in Grounded. Grounded actually had a pretty fun trailer too, because like their uh, first thing mm. was like, if you're waiting for the biggest game of the year, then. Wait by for... Cyberpunk. Yeah, for Cyberpunk. And then they were like, this is developed by a game developer who is known for nothing at all like this. <laughs> I'm like, that's funny. Was... That's pretty cool. Well marketed. But yeah, Avowed is a new RPG from Obsidian. Features sword and spellcasting stuff. Looks somewhat Skyrim-esque in gameplay. Uh, not as much in style. Um... Looks pretty cool. I I like this. Uh, do you check this out? I yeah, I'm very excited for it. Um, the thing that I find really really funny is uh, like you have Outer Worlds, which is a very Fallout esque game. I mean, it, it's basically just Fallout in space. Right. Um, and now you have this game, which is just essentially a competitor to Skyrim. I don't know who at Bethesda pissed off, you know, the people at Obsidian, but they, they apparently made a very dangerous enemy. Right. 
Yeah. They're they're just, you know, shooting at <laughs> every facet of Bethesda, right. and I find it hilarious. Yeah, and, like, I would definitely get whatever Bethesda was going to give me if Bethesda would actually give me a, a good Fallout game and, and finally another Elder Scrolls that's not fucking yeah. ESO. So... As Dusk Falls is some sort of interactive drama, as described by the developers. Looks kind of neat. Hellblade 2 will take place in Iceland. We've confirmed that this is a, uh exclusive. It was revealed back at the Game Awards. Uh, they did lots of location scouting. Um, didn't really reveal much here, but uh, still, like, I'm kind of into the game idea anyway, so... Um, Psychonauts 2, uh, some little go character goes into people's brains that he inexplicably keeps in jars, and it features Jack yeah. Black. It was, a, it was a drug trip of a game reveal. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but Jack Black's here, so, okay. How long did they have to, and that's double fine, right? That's who's doing that? I'm I think. not sure it might be. Uh, I didn't play the first Psychonauts, so I, I, don't, I don't know who does that. Yeah. yeah. Just curious to <laughs> see. Destiny 2 is coming to Xbox Series X and Game Pass, including all DLC for Game Pass members, and new DLC is coming as well. And uh, Game Pass subscribers will be able to stream it to their mobile device. Neat. Uh, as long as theoretically xCloud works better than Stadia did, because I tried to stream games on Stadia to my phone and it fucking sucked. So. Stalker 2 is going to be a console launch exclusive. The trailer was very nondescript. Um, somebody I was talking with on Discord played the first Stalker. I'd never even fucking heard of it. But uh, they were really like, oh, yeah, it's all I'm all hype. So I'm like, maybe I'll check it out. Uh, it was like the trailer was just I, I feel like I got nothing from the trailer. I was like, what are you even talking about? So Warhammer 40K Dark Tide is coming in 2021. So there's a little bit of a tabletop news because Warhammer 40K is obviously, uh, you know, developed primarily as a tabletop. And then they do video games every now and then. Uh, so, yeah, um, it, it looks like Warhammer uh, and kind of dark. Uh, so I'm kind of excited about that. I might I might check that out, especially if I was like a Game Pass subscriber. I'd definitely be like, yeah, sure. As long as it's part of the subscription, I'll check it out. Tetris. So, uh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was about to say, uh, so what's the gameplay of Dark Tide supposed to be like? Do we know that yet? Not specifically. It was just a cinematic trailer, uh, but it looked kind of cool. Obviously set in the 40K universe, and, um, you know, it's like guys um, sneaking around and dark shit was happening. So I was, now, now I forget, because there was so much fucking in this, like, thing. It, you know, it's an hour-long presentation of different Xbox games. I don't remember everything. So, um, but it, I remember it looked pretty cool. Okay. Check out the trailer for yourself at some point. Oh my god, we've lost Crow. Oh no. So, Crow has vanished. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we'll go through the next piece of uh, news and hope he comes back. Uh, Tetris Effect Connected 
uh, which is basically texturist effect, but it's got refined online play and uh, refined single player, or it's it's now having online play and refined single player. That's that that's what I meant to say. So, um, yeah, I didn't play the original Tetris effect. I'm not huge into Tetris. I played Tetris '99 when it came out for NSO, and it's it's fine. The Gunk. You uh, clean up gunk and explore a place. The medium. Now this one looked cool because this one I feel like is the Ratchet and Clank moment. Like how Ratchet and Clank was the thing that PS5 was kind of touting is like, you know, you're going between dimensions in... Uh, hey, Crow. Are you back for real? Right. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I lost power for a second. Huh. Well, that was awful silly of you. So good. Anyways, uh, so we're talking about the medium real quick, and I was going to say uh, it's kind of like the Xbox's Ratchet and Clank moment because the big thing that a lot of people were saying from the PS5 game reveal was Ratchet and Clank just loading the world so fast in that game was like a real yeah. next-gen moment, and I feel like the medium is kind of the same thing but doing it differently because it's got a thing that they call dual reality gameplay which loads two worlds at once and you play them at the same time so it's like if you were in a link to the past and you were like literally in the dark world and the light world at the same time is kind of what this looks like and this game looks fucking cool i fucking want this game um did you see any uh I'm I'm sure you you watched the whole event, right, Crow? So, uh, what did you think about this game? Anything specific, Crow? Might have lost him again. That's that's no good. He's gone. Oh man, vanished into the nether. He has. Yes, but all right. Well, anyways, I think it looks cool. Let's go on to the next couple of things because we're almost out. Um, so the new Genesis Fantasy Star Online Two is coming out. Um, I did not play the original Fantasy, R, Fantasy Star Online. Um, did you play any if of I rem If I remember right, that was originally for Dreamcast, right? Um, might have been. I remember it for GameCube for some reason, but that might have been a re-release or a port or some such. Uh, I did not play that. Uh, I originally had, I believe, at one point I tried to hook up my Dreamcast to the internet, but didn't have much success given my amount of technical skill at the time was not that great. The first online game I ever played actually was on Dreamcast was Quake 3. Really? Yeah. It's a very, it's a very odd game to, uh play on Dreamcast Online. Yeah. It's also one of the games that got me into Twin Stick Control, which is kind of interesting because the uh, controller for Dreamcast did not have Twin Sticks. Um, so the way that it went about this at the time that Twin Sticks were kind of being developed by largely Sony at the time, obviously with the DualShock, uh, is they actually mapped some of the buttons to effectively be your second stick so you'd have like your first stick you i mean really your only stick your 
which is on your left hand, would be your, like, move and strafe. And then you'd turn and look up and down with the um, A, B, X, and Y buttons, which was kind of interesting. So it was, like, it was the first real... Uh, not the first twin stick game I played, but it was it was one of the games that kind of got me into that uh, direction because it was right around the same time I was playing this as I was playing um, some of the Rainbow Six games on PlayStation, I think, and maybe close to the same time as the original Halo. Anywho, um, Crossfire X is going to be a console launch exclusive. Looked kind of neat. And basically, their last thing is they said there's going to be over 100 titles at launch of Xbox One. And then their one more thing is uh, Fable's coming. New Fable. Hi, Crow. You back again? Hello. For real? For now. So <laughs> I lose power again. Yeah. Stop losing power. You got a, you got thunderstorms over there or some shit? The no, I don't think so. I mean, maybe. New Fable. And uh, it doesn't have Richard Garriott uh, going around and saying obviously untrue things, so... Uh, I'm really not sure what to make of the new Fable because, first of all, like, it's, like, I, I haven't liked, I haven't loved Fable since the original Fable. The original Fable was fucking amazing. Fable 2 was, like, fine, but the gameplay wasn't all there. And then Fable 3, like, the gameplay, they fixed all of it, and the story was, like, meh. So... But at the same time, now it's a new studio doing Fable. Um, and really, the trailer just showed, I feel like, a totally different direction from the original trilogy. So I'm like, am I hyped about this? Like, I love Fable, and I want it to be good again. But I feel like the this is going to be something different than what Fable was from the from the trailer. It looks like this hybrid, like, fantasy, fun, cool stuff, and also maybe some weird comedy, which Fable maybe had a little of, but the trailer, like, starts off with, like, ooh, there's this fairy flying through the forest, and it's all happy, and then it gets eaten by a frog, and it's like, <laughs> not every story ends with a happy ending, and you're like, okay, that was kind of neat, but, like, as a Fable thing... Like, that's not what Fable is. And I don't know exactly how to describe what Fable is, but I'm like, it's not really that, is it? I don't know. I own Fable 3, and that's it. I haven't played it. Huh. I have, I have no input other than the game looked gorgeous, and the frog thing just killed me. It was funny. I'll give you that. But I'm just like, that funny is not what I know Fable for, right? Uh, having played the original Fable and, um, the, they, they made basically, uh, DLC before DLC was a thing, an expansion pack. That's what they were called back in the day. Um, <laughs> and, and those parts were really, really cool. Had a bunch of awesome explore, exploration and just cool combat. You know, it, it was whimsical, but it wasn't comedy, if that makes sense. Chris, you played some Fable? Uh, I only I played Fable at a friend's place. Mm -hmm. uh, I never... 
I never beat it myself. I never played very much of it, but I had fun with what, uh, with the little bit I did play of it. Okay. So yeah, oh, I'm yeah. like, um, I kind of want to be hype about this, but I'm like not sure if I am yet. So I'm, I'm gonna go okay. in with an open mind, but I'm not sure it's gonna really live up to what Fable was for me. Um, since I like cut out before I was able to uh. Before I was able to get my two cents, when backtracking a bit to when you were talking about um, the medium, yes. I just want to throw out. I'm. I don't know if you got it from me, but I'm the one who called out like immediately after its showcase that this is to Xbox what Ratchet and Clank was to PS5. Yeah, actually, that's talking something about... I said because that was kind of my moment too. Okay. As I was like, uh, especially since that was one of the things that they went out of their way and said in the presentation was like we're loading two worlds at once and i was like wait that's awesome yeah <laughs> yeah when i that's because like that's kind of what i was waiting for as soon as i saw like oh there's two different worlds i'm like okay where's the seamless transition like this is ab like it was definitely microsoft's answer to the ps5 and i was waiting for it and as soon as i saw it i'm like mm -hmm. all right very nicely done xbox um, it didn't showcase it quite as well and smoothly as Ratchet and Clank did, but it's still, like, they got their point across, especially since, you know, like, they just straight up spelled it out for you. Right. But, yeah, that was, that was big for them. Yeah, um, and just that game in general, I think, looks fucking awesome. Uh-huh. Cool. So, shall we get into our, uh, video game topic or our table topic first? I say, wasn't that the video? Well, I guess that's still news and booze. Yeah, that was still yeah, news and booze. Yeah, uh, we've been going an hour, and we're not even into our table topic yet or our video game topic. So, yeah, let's... Uh... Uh, I actually... I, I'd be good with doing a table topic first. All right, cool. So Yeah, I was just thinking. Let's mix it up. Awesome, yeah. Let's go into our table topic first. So, table topic for today is uh, would you rather have an original world built by the DM or a published world or which one would you rather run, uh, more specifically? Because um, this is kind of a thing I was kind of thinking about. Um, earlier today, I, I, I saw a tweet from somebody that uh, was like something along these lines. And now I have no idea who the tweeter was, and I have no idea what the tweet was. So I feel like a failure. But uh, anyways, I thought that sounded kind of fun. Oh, well. But yeah, I... I guess I owe you a drink for forgetting to DM at least a one-shot for you guys. So, uh, yeah, there you take go. A, a drink of Mountain Dew. All right. And thusly, you must drink because you were drinking the booze for me. So, How dare you. <laughs> you owe me a drink for not reminding me. I'll drink to that. Uh, so, uh, if that <sighs> sounded, like, awkward, I kind of restarted the podcast, and then I was going to, like, get into it so that it didn't seem like we paused, and then... And then Crow is still talking, so I, I chose a bad... <laughs> oh, yeah, I blew it. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's especially jarring, because if you're watching the YouTube, you're, I there was a sudden jump in where I was in Minecraft. Oh, yeah, that's probably going to be, like, the biggest thing for the YouTube guys. <laughs> they're just like... Because I'm sure everybody is watching on YouTube for the Minecraft gameplay, and not they're just like, who are these idiots that keep talking? Right. <laughs> we just sort of become noise in the background. We're just white noise. So, uh, yeah, I uh, reached in my fridge to look for a beer and uh, grabbed the first thing I grabbed, which was uh, my wife got these uh, Bud Light seltzers. 
So th this may be horrifying, um, but this is a mango flavor Bud Light seltzer. Let's let's find out. Weird. Wango mango tango. Mmm, wango. This got spurs that jingle jangle jingle. And a jingle bang jingle bang jingle bang jingle and a jingle bang jingle bang jingle hi ho. That's an unrelated song called The Lusty Blacksmith. So look that up if you're interested. Cause, the Lusty Blacksmith. Yes, The Lusty ba Blacksmith, which was a song about um, a blacksmith whose hammer went jingle bang, jingle bang, jingle bang, jingle, and all so did his, his best posts. I'm already scared. Yeah. I, Lusty Argonian maid. <laughs> I don't remember all of the details. I, it's, I don't remember the last time I heard that song. It's weird because I'm, I'm a musician that sings like music adjacent to this all the time. But I'm like, when was the last time I heard Anyways, this thing tastes like mango seltzer. It's not bad. It's not my thing. Uh, too much seltzer. Eight on a scale of 3 to 17. So anyways, our table topic is an original world published by a, you know, RPG maker or an original world created by the Dungeon Master. So, um, what do you guys think about that? Uh, do you guys, as DMs, make up your own worlds very much? Or, uh, Crow, I guess you don't have a lot of DM experience, but, um, yeah. in your... I'm... What what have you done, and what would you be more interested in doing? So I'm I'm absolutely like interested in creating my own world, and I've like loosely tossed around the idea. I'm definitely going to do it at some point, and I think you know it would be a good thing for any DM, uh, sorry, to try at least <laughs> once. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, that that got me for some reason. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you know, I'm a professional entertainer. Chris, you have to drink. Anyway, um, right. Oh, good. The, there's been official power outage identified in my area, so I may I may disappear again. But I'll keep talking in case I don't. If you do, I'll just um, pretend to be you for a few minutes. Perfect. I, th I think you can do a solid impression of me. Yeah, hey, yeah. I'm Crow, guys. I I like Call of Duty. You know, hey, I, Sean, download like Call I can't of Duty and play together. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I, think I did actually download that... Call of Duty and then I deleted it because I needed more space for Halo. <laughs> nice. Sorry. Um, I, I think it's not sorry. I, just, I think it's a good thing that a DM, any DM should try at least once, hmm. you know, even if it's just a one shot. Um, it, it just seems like a fun experience and, you know, good, good thing to do. Right. I'm, but as a new DM, it's definitely like much more valuable to me to have pre-made stories that's why like i'm starting and granted this is probably a bad idea to start with curse of strahd of all things but you know starting with a pre-made so i can at least get my feet under me and expand out from there mm -hmm. are you just like trying to drain your villagers there chris i'm trying to set up a sugarcane farm and drown my villagers at the same time. All right. Yeah, he's being efficient and productive with his sadism. Nice. Yeah. Always efficient and productive with my sadism. The guy's on Apple Podcasts and Podbean and can be like, what the fuck are they talking about? Um, yeah, so as a DM, like, literally the first time I 
did a DM campaign, or, or I DM'd a campaign. I, I made my own world because all of the DMs that I had worked with before that point had made their own worlds, and so I just thought that that was how you did it. I, I didn't know that, like, published worlds were a thing, or, like, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't have, like, hardly any D&D books, so I'd never heard of Eberron and uh, Forgotten Realms and all these big famous campaign settings and stuff, which is funny because I had played, at that point, uh, the Forgotten Realms video games, so I was like... Like Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Yeah, uh, specifically the Dark Alliance uh, 1 and 2. I never played the original Baldur's Gates, um, but... Yeah, I, I, I thought that was just what you did as a DM was you invented the world, was part of your job as DM. So I've literally always done that. Um, and I've taken, like, inspiration, especially from Eberron, because I like, I like a lot of things that the Eberron campaign setting does. Uh, so I kind of, um, you know, take... take bits and pieces here and there from like Eberron or Forgotten Realms or you know if, if I find a concept that I think is cool then I might integrate it into my campaign it's kind of how I work uh, but I, I've never used a pre-made world outside of like oh I'm running a one shot so I guess I'm using the whatever world it happens to be based in you know um so, uh, Chris, what do you, do you do a lot of your own worlds? I know you make a f some amount of your own worlds. Do you ever go outside of that? Do you ever use pre-made worlds? I'm honestly trying to think of a time where I've used a pre-made world, and I think the only times I can say that I've I have is when I've basically said, "All right, uh, we're probably in this world, but you guys are over here doing this thing that I made myself. So even though it's a pre-made world, I'm still injecting mm -hmm. uh, all the creative effort you need to like make something to run. Right. Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question. Basically, I've... Uh, I think I've only ever run my own mm -hmm. yeah like mostly homebrew stuff because it's like yeah. as long as you're preparing a session mostly yourself like is preparing the world in which that session is is that much more work uh i mean it it well, kind of is yes. but at the same time it's like work that kind of naturally happens as you you know, create the sessions, I feel like. Because I, especially the way that I DM, because, you know, I do, uh, like, a lot of, like, open-world-feeling campaigns, a lot of sandbox campaigns. Um, you know, like, what I kind of do is, like, I make worlds that you can explore, and then I only do the detail in those worlds session by session, you know. You get to this town... I've never made that town before because I made the world. I didn't make any of the towns. So you get to that town, and then I have to make the town, right? I have to make the session yeah. based around the town, based around what quests might happen in the town, based around what else is happening in the world that might affect the town. Uh, I'm so. pretty sure I've said something like this before, but uh, I really... I think one of the fun things you can do when you're making your own world is that kind of bottom-up 
world building where you don't mm. really figure out anything beforehand, but you say, oh, there's a town over here, and now that town is on your map, and uh, you can come up with kind of details on the fly or details in time for the next session. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Crow, do you know if you've played in any campaigns that were specifically made in another person's, like, DM mind or made in a, like, a pre-published campaign world? Uh, I've done both. I played, uh, I think, one session from a custom-made world, mm-hmm. and then that DM just kind of dropped off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was in the middle of a pre-made with Storm King's Thunder. Hmm. Um, the pre-mades definitely come across as more complete. Mm-hmm. You know, they they just there's more structure to them. They they make more sense. Hmm. Okay. At least to me. I guess but, that kind of depends on this perspective too, because like, I I guess I can kind of see what you're saying, because when they're a pre-made like campaign world for you to adventure in, they're kind of made with the idea that okay, these players could theoretically go anywhere. So we they detail quite a lot. They 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 do a ton of work into the prep for these worlds, uh, and then it's it's one of those things that I feel like sometimes, depending on the way the campaign goes, you know, a lot of the prep is never seen because you know like okay, we have this whole detailed city and just by the way the campaign flows they happen to never go there so we've got all this you know right work that is never seen um and i feel like the way that i go about dming kind of works better for that but at the same time i very rarely achieve the level of sheer detail that they put in there because you know designers that are going into this to just make a campaign world and stuff like the forgotten realms designers like the uh uh, Everyone diviners. Uh, what was that, Chris? Uh, you, you were looking for the designers of Forgotten Realms. I was given the name because apparently I ha- I have to give the name. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, when when they're going into those, they they do a crap load more detail than I ever do. Uh. But at the same time, I make my story I feel like more personal to the players that are actually in that world. You know, yeah, because uh, I I kind of cater to what the world is, or more accurately, what the world has become because of what the players has, have done. Uh, so I I feel I... like there's definitely uh, an advantage to both things because pretty much in those campaign worlds, like there's very little that you can do to be like they don't have some kind of preparation for this. But right. at the same time, I don't have to prepare for those kind of things because I prepare for, uh, you know, two or three situations. And then when the players inevitably do what I don't expect them to do, I know how to react anyway. So. And you gotta, and I think it's important to realize that when we're talking about published worlds, uh, that a world written for publication is ve- a very different beast than a world that a dm makes themselves yeah uh in terms of the because a world that's published needs to present uh everything that's usable or could be used by a dm and a lot of them are really bad at that but 
now is not the time to get into that. Right, yeah. uh, whereas a DM making their own world, they're intimately familiar with it. And if they're doing the bottom-up kind of design, they're intimately, they're generating it piece by piece, and they can build it out organically in response to kind of what the players are doing. Like, if the players discover they some unusual world tactic, uh, having the ability to build out more of the world can put a tactical tactic that says, let's say you break the economy in a village or like a city or something, uh, you can put that in context mm -hmm. uh, in a way in a way that you couldn't if you did something similar with a published world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so... I'm not sure where to go next on this topic, because I feel like maybe there's more we can say, but I'm not sure how to, like, put us into that direction. I I, I do feel like I have a whole bunch to say, and it's, I feel like every, I feel like, particularly if you're a new DM, mm. this is going to be advice directed at Crow, you yeah. should make, you, you don't necessarily need to make your own world, but you should make the world your own. Yeah, all right. Or, or you should fill in the gaps with whatever details you like. Um. Yeah, like, as I'm reading the campaign book for Curse of Strahd, I'm already, like, figuring out parts of Ravenloft that I plan to change from, you know, its, its towns to its people to adding things or removing things that I think are redundant, you know, just cus custom tailoring the campaign and the world to the campaign um, for the players to make things what I think would be a little more interesting and help guide the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like, I'm one town I'm going to completely overhaul. Um, granted, I'm doing a lot of this because I read the uh, the book I Strahd first before the campaign. So I'm changing it to reflect the book. Um, but there is also a, a change that I'm not going to reveal just in case one of my players decides to, for some reason, listen to this podcast. I don't want them knowing what's coming, but yeah. something big. Tell them to I'm listen adding... to our podcast. We need subscribers and stuff. I'm uh, I'm, I'm adding a new boss mm -hmm. for them to fight. Nice, nice, yeah. Uh, so what I would say, actually, now now probably is the time to dunk on published worlds. Yeah, this is, is it. that most this of is them give you the wrong kinds of details. Mm -hmm. uh, when you you uh, so you get details, you're like, oh, you have the population figures of this city, and it has rulers like this and cuisines like this, and all this kind. I'm like, but it usually doesn't give you details about saying there's like, what can the players buy there? What makes the what sets the city apart in a way that the players are actually going to feel at the table. Or what sets this location apart? Or uh, what what are the laws on armaments? Th just things that come up that would definitely come up and play. What are the NPCs' motivations in a way 
that make them like villains or potential allies. Most of that stuff's just not present. Mm -hmm. It usually focuses too much on history, which never comes up or almost never comes up. Right. That I feel like depends on your DM play style. Uh, Cause you know, some DMs I've had kind of like put in the history of the towns in here and there and like develop the culture around it and stuff like that. And, and other DMs like me are just like, yeah, there's some history here. If you explore it, you find out about it. If you don't, then you, you I don't know, you kill a Sahagin and take his treasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. History, in a published world, history needs to be, it doesn't help you run the game. It's not something that comes up during play. I'm like, uh, maybe an unusual culture, maybe like a few details about like set dressing that the players might directly experience. Mm-hmm. Sure, I could see an argument for that. Uh, for the most part, though, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It has no business being in a world book if it's not something that the players might uh, interact with in some way. Mm-hmm. So there's my uh, there's my hot take on that. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of fair because, like, um, like I haven't done a ton, a ton with like published campaign worlds, but I've done a fair amount with published like one shots and stuff like that. And there's so much stuff that's like there that I just like glaze over and don't don't care about. Uh, yeah. And I feel like the same thing could be kind of said about that. It's just like it's there. Why does it have to be there? I'm not going to use it, you know, and maybe some kind of play group it might came up but i don't know i've never played with a play group that all of these things would come up so i'm like why is it included you know is is it going to come up in some play group or another maybe i don't know uh anyways is there anything last we want to say on the um issue of pre-built or DM-made handcrafted worlds? Not really. Uh, the, only, yeah, the only thing I have left to say is you should you should at least do the have the experience of uh, creating your own. Yeah, that I think we can agree on from regardless of which perspective. Alright. Yeah. In that case, let's uh, move on to our video game topic this week. The video game topic is kind of similar, but uh, not exactly related. So uh, we're going to be talking about uh, handcrafted worlds in video games as opposed to roguelike or procedurally generated worlds. And kind of the uh, issues that lie therein and the, um, you know, benefits that come from either one of these things. Because I feel like definitely both of them have their place in video games obviously you know roguelike is 
a genre now, I feel like you can say, because sure. of how many people like it. But, you know, also to an extent, like, uh, The Elder Scrolls no longer uses procedurally generated worlds because they found that handcrafting the worlds makes for a more uh, memorable down to earth experience. So, uh, it really kind of depends on the game type, I guess. Um, do you guys have any opening thoughts on this or uh, specific what you prefer or. I do have a particular love slash fetish for randomly generated worlds. <laughs> I mean, you can kind of tell that I'm, I'm over here playing Minecraft. Right. Uh, as well as your penchant for Enter the Gungeon and Crypt of the Necrodancer. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, but I feel like this is, in some ways, this is kind of a false dichotomy, almost. Oh. Uh -huh. Because the kind of procedural generation in, say, Daggerfall, mm -hmm. uh, made for a fairly boring world, I would say, in that you could wander the wilderness for aeons and not really get anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but in a game like, say, Enter the Gungeon, or a game like Minecraft, there's a lot of work has gone into making sure the randomly generated worlds uh, have a lot of interesting things to encounter and explore. Yeah. That's a thing, because, um, uh, like, you know, a lot of people talk about Daggerfall who have played it that are just like, yeah, the, you know, it, it made for a big world, but most of them are just like, I've never really felt like I needed to play Daggerfall, kind of because of the way the world is described. It's like, yeah, it takes you days to get from one town to another and i'm like okay so what do you do in between and it's like walk <laughs> okay is that it whereas like morrowind used some procedural generation and then they kind of went after they procedurally generated a large chunk of world they went back and they like refined it a little bit and they were like okay so where can we smooth out areas to where it's easier to explore uh you know make it more you know put interesting landmarks here and there stuff like that so it was kind of a a combination between the two which i feel like actually worked out really well for morrowind because morrowind ended up being you know one of Probably, I would say the. I I would go as far as to say the best video game world ever made, because it it feels like you're exploring an organic, real place, um. And it's. You know, it's it's maybe got its flaws in gameplay or stuff where it's it's sometimes difficult to do that, but as far as actually, uh going through it goes i feel like there's never been a world more explorable than morrowind uh so i feel like you know maybe maybe this was the thing that they stumbled onto and then they went into fully handcrafted worlds like uh you know skyrim and, and oblivion and they were okay but they were just so small in comparison it's like i feel like morrowind just in a sense of world building had the scale that neither of its predecessors could or, or 
sequels, like not predecessor. Predecessor is the opposite of what I'm thinking of, so I have to drink. Yeah. But uh, successor. Successor. Yeah. So neither of its successors could match the scale, but uh, both of them did a pretty good job at matching the meat, you know, because um, there was there was cool stuff to find in each one, but both of them just felt so tiny in comparison right yeah it's it's weird to to play both of them for me now you know because of how many hours i spent in morrowind like i've i've spent more hours in morrowind than i have in skyrim and oblivion put together and i've explored the entire map in both skyrim and oblivion and i've never completed the map in morrowind so it's like i feel like maybe that's the key is like some amount of like combining these two aspects but again i i i, I almost feel like this is a rabbit hole because you know we could we could also talk about strictly roguelike or procedurally generated versus strictly handcrafted so morrowind is kind of a weird egg where it's kind of both so i don't know i don't know where do you hmm. fall on that is it is it a real procedurally generated world does it count uh it's mostly i would count morrowind mostly as handcrafted mm -hmm. uh just because those towns aren't exactly what i'd call randomly generated yeah, but... they, they more or less what they did was they generated the landscape uh and i th i don't know to what extent that ended up putting towns on the landscape uh but you know Obviously, a lot of that probably, I feel like, had to be more handcrafted than procedurally generated, at least in the town design. Yeah. Uh, what I would say is that uh, I think even with the most procedurally generated of procedurally generated worlds, the craft is on display in what gets... Uh, generated. Mm -hmm. Like, let's take one of my favorites, Dwarf Fortress, as an example. Mm -hmm. uh, where in Dwarf Fortress, you can generate pretty much an entire world. But mm -hmm. in that world, you have, uh, unless you explicitly disable it, you'll have things like cave layers, where if you dig a certain distance beneath ground, you'll run into caves with mushrooms and troglodytes and weird giant cave beasts uh and all of that stuff has elements of craft the fact that those cave layers always generate even if they look different uh the fact that certain kinds of structures generate along the world like goblin tunnels mm -hmm. that you can like uh get on your belly and sneak through and then stab a goblin to death mm -hmm. and uh all of that those things aren't put there by accident. Mm -hmm. you, uh, and all things are surprisingly handcrafted. Like, uh, say, the dungeons in uh, Minecraft, mm -hmm. which, again, I'm playing here. Right. Uh, 
a lot of the dungeons or other generated structures usually share the same design. So when you go inside of one, they'll look almost identical. Mm -hmm. uh, with only a few randomizations. They uh, have a, a lot of commonalities between them. They're all built of a certain type of brick. They often share have a lot of common rooms. Mm -hmm. That's kind of been my thing on replays of Cadence of Hyrule, is that uh, they've got, like, even though it randomizes the dungeons every time you go, it's they still feel like you're basically going to the same place. You know, it's... It's not like a quote-unquote real Zelda game where you're going through and you know you have uh, puzzles to solve and, and all this. You just kind of like figure out where to go in the few rooms that it kind of gives you because the dungeons are pretty small in Cadence of Hyrule and you, you just kind of like go until you figure out the way to the end, basically. Uh, and sometimes there's multiple ways to the end, uh, depending on how it randomizes and depending on what items you have in your inventory at the time. Because uh, I, I found that uh, one of the dungeons I went in on my first playthrough, um, I had the hover boots. And so I was able to literally, like, jump over a gap and go straight to the boss. And, like, I, I skipped, like, almost the whole dungeon. And, uh... But without those hover boots, because I, I think I died, then I had to actually go through the whole dungeon in order to get back to the boss. So, uh, uh, I thought that was kind of, kind of funny. Um, just with, just, because it, it happened to be that, you know, you, you, like, start on one platform, and, like, if you, if you jump off of that, uh, instead of going down the stairs, if if it randomly generates you within three squares of the next square where you have to get to the boss room, then you can go there with the hover boots because you can go, I think, three steps in the air with the hover boots or something like that. Uh, so, But then if you die and lose your hover boots, then you come back and you have to either find the hover boots again or, or go through the full dungeon or something. Um, so that, that was kind of interesting. Kill that skeleton, Chris. Can you beat him? There's more than one skeleton here. You're fucked. You're gonna die. You can't Some even see. Die. There we go. Another kind of randomly generated game that I really love is Diablo. Because um, uh, one of the things that I think is really enhanced by this kind of game structure is that just like... As many times as I've gone through Diablo 2 specifically, but the Diablo series in general does this. Um, uh, it's it's a different game, because, like, you know, you're going through a different layer. It, it adds, you know, that much more exploration, almost infinite replayability, because every time you do it, you're exploring a different area, even if you're going through the same dungeon or the same outer world area. Literally, the only things that are handcrafted in the series are the towns and so when you're in town you know it's the same thing so you can find your shopkeepers easily or whatever but then when you go out of town you know your uh in between areas are totally different 
and uh, your dungeons are totally different. So, uh, what do you think about just the added exploration of that? Do you think it's worth adding the additional replay value splash exploration? Um, do you think that justifies not being a handcrafted world by itself? Uh, generally speaking, yes. Uh, at least for certain types of games. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I'm very biased. Right. I have I have games I I'm already very biased in terms of procedural generation, but. Mm-hmm. The ability to replay a game that has different dungeons, uh, that has different items, different, particularly different item synergies, uh, is one I always love. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Crow? I think I'm going to need a few minutes. I dropped my VR headset and hit myself in the nuts. So oh. <laughs> I've been so quiet. Ah, that's a... I like, that's kind I of like crafted worlds. <laughs> that's bad. I assume I, I assume you don't like there hitting yourself in the nuts. Oculus! <laughs> HTC, but close. And There's yeah, no, it sucks. I'm sorry, man. I was at the park with my uh, six-year-old the other day, and he and he had his first like big fall on his nuts, and I was like, "I feel for you, man." And it was like the first time I had ever felt for somebody who fell on their nuts instead of like just laughing at him. And I was like, <laughs> "I'm growing up." Or you I, know, it's your kid, uh, right? Yeah, I I'd... misread. <laughs> I misread that tweet. So I had interpreted it as you would have felt bad, but instead, because it was your kid, you were laughing at him. I'm like, good for you, man. <laughs> I mean, I like when he's a little older, I will laugh at him for for all of these things, and we'll be able to joke with us with each other together. But like when he's little and he falls on his nuts and he really gets hurt, and I'm just like, oh man. Now I really feel for you. And I don't normally feel for people who fall on their nuts. No, I'm, normally I'm just like, eh, nut shot. Because I am an immature idiot. Nut shots are pretty funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a classic form of comedy right there. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, Crow, are there any procedurally generated or, uh, handcrafted worlds that you want to shout out for being better than the other? I mean, Zelda, I think, is an absolutely incredible handcrafted world. They're all great, but Breath of the Wild especially. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, um, that's, that's one of the things, um, specifically for, like, uh, games with puzzle solving and stuff like that, like Zelda, um... I feel like you almost need a handcrafted world to make it work the same, you know? Because the procedurally generated Zelda, as much as I love Cadence of Hyrule, just didn't quite strike the same chord because you weren't really, like, solving puzzles. You were just, like, 
kind of had to get around obstacles more, which is to an extent what the puzzle solving does in mainline Zelda games. But in mm-hmm. Cadence of Hyrule, it was kind of like, here's the obstacle, and because it's procedurally generated, sometimes there's different ways to get around it, and sometimes there's just not. You know, so it, it, it really kind of depended on how the game procedurally generated the area and how the game randomly assigned you items. Because, like I said, like the hover boots could, like, change entire levels uh could make it you know sometimes you'd get to a place where it procedurally generated a heart piece on top of a place that literally could not be accessed unless you had the hover boots so then you'd have to figure out which shop had the hover boots go there and buy them and then get all the way back somehow to because there's there's no fast travel in this game so you'd have to that seems seems kind of like poor design to me it's not necessarily poor because I feel like those were like rare instances. Most of the time, you could get to heart pieces or whatever by just like, okay, I dig this thing and now I can jump up here, right? Uh, but occasionally, depending on how they worked, uh, it was possible to get like uh, things like that where, okay, now I need an item to actually get them, which to an extent, I think, worked because it's a Zelda game and you need items in Zelda games to traverse the land anyway. So... I did... Uh, there was there was one puzzle when I did my playthrough of Cadence of Hyrule where it was a cave that was filled with pretty tough enemies. I think there was an Armos was one of them. Or not Armos, uh, Iron Knuckle. Um, but it was relatively difficult enemies. Uh... And there was a staircase up to a ledge, uh, but the ledge was like cut in half by rocks that you couldn't progress, and the rocks or the chest was on the other side of the rocks. Mm. So it, it just felt like there was no way to get around it. And I I don't remember how I solved it. I think it was the hover boots that required. All I know is it was the last thing that I solved before I went to go fight Octavo. And mm. I was expecting it to be a heart piece or like a heart container or something. And it just ended up being 20 fucking rupees. <laughs> I was so pissed. Uh, so that is a flaw. I, I feel like that is, that's something that you can control for in a otherwise procedurally generated game. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, feel, I feel like you can code in like checks and balances to... Yeah, I feel like in general the checks and balances that they put in in Cadence of Hyrule were pretty good and kept, like, weird bullshit from that from happening, but every now and then something like that would happen. Yeah. So, this is part of why I'm such a big fan of Enter the Gungeon, talk about it all the time, but Mm. a lot of the, even the procedurally generated or the randomly generated challenges that come up all have rewards that are proportional to their difficulty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it always feels like you're doing a thing that's appropriate for the reward you're getting. Mm-hmm. Which is really pretty incredible game design. Yeah. 
uh, to make a like randomly generated thing that gives you a proportionately uh, adequate reward does sound like that's that sounds like fucking hard to make it happen because like sometimes I feel like game designers don't get that right in handcrafted games they're just like you know we make a a puzzle and a reward and sometimes the reward just sucks <laughs> right so yeah. like, to make that actually work consistently in a in a procedurally generated that's that's kind of amazing but the the game is also incredibly polished mm -hmm. it's probably one of the most polished games I played. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly for an indie game. Uh, mm -hmm. And that kind of design is always possible in a game that uses procedural generation. But that's because they use procedural generation, generation not to do the designer's work for them. Like... Uh, going back to the, uh, Daggerfall. Mm -hmm. uh, but they use procedural generation as a way of increasing replay value. They still put in the hard work yeah. of designing everything. I think that's where the major, like, difference comes in between procedurally generated worlds and handcrafted ones. The procedural ones will always have replayability because, you know, every time you play it, it's going to be different. Even if there's a limit to, you know, the procedure, it's still a different experience. But, as a result, you know, it's not quite as memorable. Uh, whereas, handcrafted worlds, if they're crafted properly, I mean, that's where you get all these Game of the Years, you know, the God of Wars, the Witcher, Breath of the Wilds. Yeah. You know, games that are masterfully handcrafted, they get these praises for a good reason. So, I think that's it's a difference in experience um, between the worlds. Mm -hmm. I'm also more of the opinion that ga handcrafted games getting the awards is happens more often just because those games tend to be the the games uh, AAA games tend to be more mainstream mm -hmm. uh, and roguelikes are a niche genre. Yeah, yeah. I realized only... I had a pop-up in the lower corner of the screen uh, on the video for uh, longer than I. It, it took me too long to realize, so so we we have to drink. You are so unprofessional. <laughs> you got to start over. Scrap the episode. Starting again. Okay, guys, let's go through all that Xbox news again. <laughs> no thanks. No thank you. Okay, so the Xbox news was Halo and uh, Fable and a bunch of filler. I'm not wrong. Sounds about right. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, State of Decay and... Uh... State of Decay and everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I decay my BFF chill. Something like that. Anyways. I just realized... The, that's Xbox's answer to Sony. Sony has their state of play. Xbox has their state of decay. Ah, I see. Get it? Because yeah. they're they're dying. Yeah. 
I mean, in the console market, like maybe, but they monetize so differently, especially going into the next gen, that I feel like they'll be fine. Yeah. Because, like, their whole thing is going to be the Game Pass, and I feel like the Game Pass is going to be, like, crap loads of subscriptions, even for people that are just, like, playing on PC. Because, like, I was thinking, like, maybe I'll just check it out on PC so I can get all these Microsoft exclusives and shit just on my computer, you know? Um, yeah. And I feel like they'll get plenty of revenue that way, and they don't need to sell 80 million consoles a generation to I mean, keep in the competitive market. There's also the fact that, I mean, it's Microsoft. They've got, if any company has fuck you money to throw at console, at the console market, it's Microsoft. Yeah. Alright, so I, anything, last thoughts on this roguelike slash procedurally generated worlds versus handcrafted worlds topic? Nah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I think I think both of them have their advantages. I feel like that's a lot of the time what our final thoughts end up being is like, oh, yeah, both of these ideas are legitimate and we're not going to be a dick. Well, what I'm going <laughs> to... They both have their place. Let's, let's not go golden mean fallacy here. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah. We don't need any of your hippie fence city bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you gotta vote. Which is better, procedural generation yeah, you're, or handcrafting? You're yeah. Are you siding with me or Chris? But I, I literally said that the best world ever was Morrowind, which was a combination of both. <laughs> <laughs> uh. How do I, how do I settle this? Yeah. Well, well, I do have my dice case here, and my dice case does have um, coins in it, so I'll flip a coin. All right. Uh, crow, call heads or tails? Heads. That looks like a head. If I, if, hey. if I flip it the right way. If you look at it in the right light. Yeah. That's the king of Orstera. Is that Octopath Traveler? Yeah. It's a leaf. currency they use. I'm not sure why they call them leaves other than the fact that there's a leaf on the coin. I'm like, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's one of the random things. Little nugget that came in my collector's edition there. So I'm just showing off all kinds of shit from my shelf here. <laughs> Octopath never got a uh, steelbook, did it? Not a steelbook. Uh, it did get a big collector's edition, uh, which I have up here, which is behind a bunch of stuff, so I won't bother getting it all down. But it did come with a cool cloth map. Which is, which is pretty badass. It's a double-sided. It's got the uh, whole party on the back there. I thought that was, that was pretty cool. And the coin and a soundtrack CD and a pop-up book that's behind a bunch of other shit that I'm not going to get right now. But, uh, yeah. One of my favorite collector's editions, actually, is, is this Octopath Traveler uh, with the pop-up book there. I, I pull out the pop-up book every now and then. I'm just like... Because each uh, page... It's eight pages of pop-up book. And each page is, like, dedicated to the starting area of one of the characters. And so, I think it's just, like, super awesome. Those cows love you, Chris. Yes, they do. 
I don't even know though I killed them by the hundreds. How many more? You feeding them more cows? Turn our cow moose. Let me uh, let me turn on the sound again for, uh, for all you listeners at home, so you can hear. All right, well, let's close out the podcast real quick, and then we'll get into that. So, um, uh, this has been a drink to the past. I'm your host, John Michael Patrick Thompson, as always, joined by my co-host Chris. Hi, I'm Chris, uh, terrified, screaming Audet. You can find my writings on Drive Through RPG. Uh, I wrote House of Flowers, uh, and, which is an uh, adventure you can run using pretty much any D&D system that isn't fourth. Uh, <laughs> and I co-wrote with uh, somebody else who is not currently on this podcast. Don't think I saw uh, that. Yeah. Five Cataclysm Core Rules Beta Edition. Uh, you could pick that up because that has like an interesting... That has summoning rules, which I wrote, and it has... Uh, interesting little town improvement system, which Nick wrote. Uh, and then you could pick up any of Nick's adventures for said system, uh, but you gotta pay money for those. But they're all well-regarded. I, I don't think we've had a single bad review on them. And we are joined by our glorious... Um, what do we decide you are? Barrel Man? Yeah, Barrel, Barrel Man. Man. Barrel Man Crow. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Crowbird Cannon as well as on YouTube. Uh, YouTube channel name is CrowJL and my group channel, The Four Players. That's the four dash players. Word four, not number. We make stuff sometimes. I've, it's been over a year, but I am currently in the process of editing stuff, so you'll see stuff within a week. First time in forever. Awesome. I also write for uh, two guys playing Zelda. Yeah. Uh, so check out two guys playing Zelda. Uh, tons of interesting Zelda content there, and you can find writings from Crow and myself as well. And I will have a thing, as I said, on TGPZ Gaming pretty soon coming up. I'll have an article on uh, The Last of Us Part Two. So check it out. All right, and now we come to the last part of the podcast where we just talk about random bullshit until somebody says something really awkward and I cut it off. And then did uh, yeah. did Hick and Red ever like? respond to that podcast grudge match bullshit thing that it came up with on no did they ever respond on busted buttons or anything we, we were at war with busted buttons for like two episodes and I, I i mentioned it a couple of times and then like uh i think like three episodes after i forgot to mention it and then the next episode i was like i forgot to mention it we have to drink <laughs> yeah i don't I don't think drink they ever twice because I'm drinking for Chrome. Or care, and yeah, I'm like, I, I wonder if they even noticed. Like, I, I think I said something about it in their Discord or something, but yeah, yeah. I was like, we tagged them on Twitter. Yeah, it, something like Red that. Might have liked it, but it, I, I doubt they brought. It. I, I mean, granted, I haven't watched Busted Buttons in a few weeks, so yeah, I've been like trying to catch up with their podcast, but other podcasts like kind of take priority with more news and stuff for me is kind of i'm like i i read don't tell them that yeah. right yeah N not any offense to them i like listening to their podcast but uh they're like not my primary go-to listen to a podcast podcast uh mm. mostly just because uh you know 
of like when I'm listening to a podcast, like when I'm doing the dishes or something, then I, I, I like to try and find one that's not going to like corrupt my children too much. And they, and, and they cuss a lot, which is, I mean, we cuss a lot more probably, <laughs> but yeah. you know, well, I'm just like, I'm doing the dishes. My kids are awake. Cuss a lot? My children don't, don't cuss a lot. If, okay. you, uh, if you get hit going off Come about uh, GameStop, then <laughs> he cusses probably more than all of us. Right. That's true. Let's get him on one of these days. I, I keep inviting them, and they keep being like, yeah, okay, maybe. We need, yeah, we can get Hick on with me, and then mm-hmm. I can just talk about GameStop and let him go off. I was talking to Red the other day, and Red might come on and play some D and D with us or something. So that'd be fun. Maybe maybe Crow yeah. should uh, DM a game for me, Red, and Chris. That'd be fun. That'd be good. Red, you yeah, hear Red, me? Red definitely seems more like amicable about coming onto the onto the drink in the past. Yeah, probably partially because it's an excuse for him to drink. Right. <laughs> I don't blame him. I mean, that, that's the only reason why I'm here. And you're not even drinking, you douche. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking vicariously through you. My liver thinks. You you're drinking Vicodin. It's just impressive. Yeah, how how are you doing that? I am a god among men. Ah, I see. Here, I thought you were a crow. Yes, the 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 crow god. Man, man. Yeah. Not the man god of crow. No, I, I'm I am the crow god, and I am among men. Found a Lego guy under my under my chair here. His head is backwards. Uh, it's kind of random. Concerning. There we go. Now his head is no longer backwards. I don't know physiology, but I know that your head's not supposed to be on backwards. Yeah. When... What about your ass? Is your ass supposed to be on backwards? Oh yeah, that's fine. All right, it's fine. Ass you can poop out your front all you want. The hole goes all the way through, so regardless of which orientation it is, it still comes out. Are you making fun of my orientation? 